0: Welcome to another episode of Given Hell, Brigham. How you doing tonight, Jeff?
1: Doing good. It's a Thursday night, not a Wednesday night. We apologize for the delay. I know that's that-
0: my fault. I will take full blame for this. I did not realize it was Wednesday until it was eight fifteen, and more, normally recorded about nine nine fifteen, my time, and it was about eight fifteen, and I just finished working and was putting my daughter to bed, and texted Jeff and was like, "Dude, it's not happening tonight. I'm sorry." And I'm glad you'll
1: take the blame because I was going to give it to you either way. Like the blame is yours. It always is. We know that this is the highlight of everybody's week. We apologize for delaying the pinnacle of your week one day. But now uh, it's probably a Friday morning. And this is really like the ultimate platform to send you off into a wonderful weekend. And in that sense, this is a good thing. It's a good delay.
0: Right. And there is there is precedence. Our first episode did come out on a Friday morning. We recorded on a Thursday, so it is is not unheard of. But we're here. We're back. We're giving you the content that you love. And we finally got a couple Hellion of the Week submissions, and we had a couple good ones come in. Um, but this week, our Hellion of the Week was submitted by none other than Nate Slack, who uh, is, is he still working for KSL. Is he working for Greg Rebell still?
1: Uh, I think he's done with Greg, but I think he's working for BYU TV, if I remember right. That's
0: okay. So he is a me- he is another media member. But uh, Nate Slack submitted that uh, Ella Pope, uh, Mark Pope's daughter, or we should say sister Pope, is to be the Hellion of the week. And she, um, you know, if you listen to this April general conference, there was a talk about her um, opening her mission call, um, you know, in front of her teammates. She's on the women's basketball team at the University of Ohio. Go Bobcats! And she, uh, she left to go to ecuador on her mission was sent home with all of COVID going on and she was given the option to leave and go back to school or you know just to stay home but she'd only been out for like just in between like it was like two or three months she just barely been out at all and so she decided that she was going to take her reassignment and so she is now finishing her mission which like 80 percent of her mission now is going to 90 of her mission will be in jacksonville florida english speaking um, and so he wanted to nominate her as the hellion of the week of someone who made a big sacrifice, and you know of someone who chose to do the hard thing when the easy thing you know may have been the easy way out, if you want to call it, that may have been a path that many would have chosen, but she chose to do the hard thing that was very different than what her plans were, but she wanted to stick it out and keep serving.
1: So I loved my mission. I served in Madagascar. Uh, anybody who knows me, I talk about it all the time. I absolutely loved it. There was a time. Uh, I'd been out for just over a year that there was like this crazy civil war and a coup d'etat, and it was pretty nuts in the country for like a couple of months. That They took us out of our areas, brought us all close to the mission home, and it was like touch and go for four, six weeks. Uh, We didn't know if we were going to stay in the country or not. Now, I absolutely loved my mission, but I would be lying if I said uh, that I didn't hope that we would get that call and I could get that like honorable release and still get to go home a year early. I would have been thrilled. So hats off to Sister Pope because that's tough to do. And I'm super impressed by anybody who's willing to come home and, you know, do what they have to do and then still go back out after you get a taste of home. I loved my mission. Talk about it all the time. Could not imagine life without it. But if they could have told me that you go home and you get an honorable release, I I don't think there's any chance I would have gone back out. I don't think
0: so either. I mean, I like, you, I walked in the MTC thinking, okay, this is it for two years. I remember laying in bed the first night, my head hit the pillow, thinking, what have I just gotten myself into? Two years is such a freaking long time. Thinking Dude. about what I was doing two years before that, and I was like, I can barely remember that. That's how long this yeah. is. So My, I think, first,
1: my first day in the MTC, I, I remember thinking, okay, day one down, and then my companion who was in the top bunk, he said, oh, it's a leap year this year. This whole day didn't even count oh this sucks we had two years in a day it's brutal
0: yeah i you know i'm the same way i think about it every day i talk about it all the time i love my mission very grateful for it it was very shaming but i you know it's one of those things where unless you were put in that situation to where you had the eject button and you got to be home and get back into normal life and then say okay do you want to jump back into this you don't have to you're good. Like you'll get an honorary release if you choose not to. But you have, I don't think you know, I don't think anybody knows what they would do unless they were in that situation. And I think it would be very hard for me to go back in. So hats off to Sister Pope, um, our Hellion of the Week. You know, saying the word hell in terms of a missionary going out to serve, probably not the best thing, but there's not a better term for it. But you are a Hellion. Um, so good job, Sister Pope, and good luck. Um, quarantine Kitchen, we also got, a, it was more of a demand from Jeff that. Felt like a threat. Yes, it was. We are pandering for listeners because somebody told us they would not listen until, unless Jeff talked about making jambalaya on his RecTech walk. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, first, RecTech. I think a lot of people know RecTech, they make an awesome pellet grill. Uh, I feel like I should be on RecTech's payroll with the amount of uh, marketing and salesmanship that I have done on behalf of RecTech, uh, but really an awesome company. They make a grill called the Matador, and it's like an old-fashioned cowboy walk. I think Camp Chef has one that they call the Fire Disc. Uh, a lot of people make them like a homemade walk that they just use like a little burner and then have this funny-looking pan, uh, but I love the, the RecTech Matador. It's one of my favorite things to cook on just because it's different. It's fun. Uh, So this last week I made some jambalaya. Now look, I'm not going to claim that I am some Louisiana chef and my jambalaya is the most authentic in the world, but it's pretty darn good jambalaya. And it's the best that I think I've had here in Utah. And it's really simple to make. So all I did this week is I took it out on the matador. The matador is huge. It's this big giant walk, Uh, the way that it works is there's two rings of fire on your burner. There's your inner burner and the outer burner. I just turned on the inner burner, sauteed some onions, some peppers, some celery, in some oil, got those nice and soft, then cooked just some chicken thighs. And I put some Cajun blackened chicken seasoning on it. I'll have to find exactly what brand it was, but it's all similar. When it's a Cajun seasoning, if you could find a Cajun seasoning, it's, it's they're all similar enough that, there's so many other things in jambalaya, just use a Cajun seasoning. So I just used a Cajun seasoning, cooked the chicken thighs, did some andouille sausage, um, brought it all together, and then I put in a can of crushed tomatoes and a ton of chicken stock. I think we used 96 ounces of chicken stock and five cups of rice. Brought it all together, put the lid on this matador, cooked the rice, that was it. I mean, that's my jambalaya. I added layers of seasoning, throughout the process i didn't just season the chicken uh that's, and then, how,
0: that's that's another pro cooking tip we'll have to make a shirt for that one is you got to season early and often you can't just dump yeah. it in the beginning or dump it at the end it of course spice changes over time of course so when you're
1: making as much rice as i made you need to have a lot of spice and then the final thing that we did obviously top it off with some shrimp uh we put some some shrimp in there just cooked them until it was pink brought it all together bam jambalaya The only problem I have with that recipe is I have the matador, man. I I just don't know how to like portion control on the matador because it's such a big bowl and it feels like it's flat. Like you don't really, really give it the credit for how the credit that it deserves for how deep it is and how much food it can hold. So I made uh, for three people because two of my kids wanted cereal. I probably made enough jambalaya to serve like 60 people. It was, it was a ton, but it was delicious. That was what I did. I did a lot of cooking this week, but uh, we were demanded that we talk about the jambalaya. So there you go. Dave Lundberg. That's it, man. That's the jambalaya recipe.
0: It's easy. It's simple. We'll get it in the show notes this week. Um, I want to kind of going back. I tried your cheese pizza last week. We talked about this on Twitter. It was good. It was not great. Part of the Issue I think may have been, and the place that I got it from is a local place. You know, again, it's good, not great. Um, but it was a 24 inch pizza, it did not fit in my car, like, I had to tilt it going home because it did not fit in the front seat of the car. You're not
1: getting any crispy on a pizza that big, it's not going to
0: be crispy, right? So it was a little so it was better the next day when I cut the slice down and like re put it in the oven to crisp it up. So it was. Definitely, there is a difference. You can taste the nuanced flavor. I won't go full cheese only because I think there is a time and a place of when I want some sausage <laughs> on my pie. And, but it was good. But another thing that I will I've say is... cheese pizza
1: every day for lunch this week.
0: Again, so this is two weeks now? Or yeah, three.
1: it's a problem. I mean, it's a real problem. My wife is actually getting a little bit concerned about it. But today was the 4th day straight that I just ordered pizza from Lucky Slice because I found that that's my pizza. Straight cheese, no toppings. The guys are getting weirded out that they keep coming to my house, but I can't stop. Lucky
0: Slice, if you want to sponsor us, just give Jeff, Jeff free pizza. So yeah, just We don't even need money, just, just
1: bring me a pizza every day.
0: That's all. We will, this will be yes, the Lucky Givehamberger brought to you by Lucky Slice in, where are you guys at in Southern Alberta, wherever you are up there in Canada? Yeah, yeah up um,
1: here. Northern Utah, Canada. That's the place.
0: Anything north of like, anything north of like that water tower, you know, on North Salt Lake when you kind of go around the bend in bountiful, <laughs> that's Canada. Anything south of Spanish Fork is Mexico. Anything west of the airport is Nevada. And then as soon as you hit mountains, you're in Wyoming on the yeah, east, on the west, on the east side that is, That's that is Utah. Good. Um, so lucky slice, Jeff loves it. I like cheese pizza. I'm more open to it than I thought I was previously. But my thing that I'm sticking on is, you know, we said, don't overcook your chicken. Don't wrap your ribs, eat cheese pizza. I'm saying make scratch pancakes. It's not that hard. And crusties pancake mix where you just add water or basically it's horrible. Like once it's not that hard, to make pancakes from scratch and they taste so much better and the quality is way better and you will feel better about yourself that you are contributing something to this world so make scratch pancakes we have the recipe that we like we use it's pretty popular i've seen it floating around the internet for a long time we'll put it in the show notes as well but just make your own damn pancakes i mean like <laughs> it's not put <laughs> that will be our shirt for the week um it should be speaking I'm, of. Yes. Speaking okay. of shirts, we have shirts. We have, if you went last week, we apologized. We apologized. We set everything up and we didn't realize that in the storefront, we were trying to give you options of, you know, different price points and really give our consumer everything that they want. But we realized it made things really clutter, and we didn't figure out till this week how to clean that up a bit. So we took down some of the shirts we had last week. We put up some new ones. The store is a little cleaner. We've got the logo on all the shirts now. So Jeff, what new shirts have you put up?
1: So, a couple of shirts this week. Uh, a first one, it's called the Pet Peeve. It's something that all of us can relate because every time it happens in a game, I see like 70 tweets about it immediately. And all it says is stop running seven yard routes on third down and eight. I mean, who doesn't disagree? Is there anything more annoying? That comeback route, the receiver t- gets the separation, they complete the pass but they're a yard short of the first down or we're punting anyways. It's, it's in- maybe
0: giving, maybe giving an eight yard cushion on third and three.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that
0: that's,
1: that's not great. And maybe that's next week's shirt. Uh, but this week's pet peeve, stop running seven yard routes on third and eight. Uh, Garrett just alluded to our simple food rules. That's another shirt. It's simple. Don't overcook chicken. Don't wrap ribs. All pizza should be cheese pizza. If you disagree, you're wrong. All pizza should be cheese pizza. That's on a shirt. And then the last one that we put up there this week, the Hail Mary. Relive the words of Sean McDonough from the Nebraska game. Into the wind. Down to the goal line. Caught! And BYU beats Nebraska on a last-minute Hail Mary. Uh, So those are the shirts that are up there. We still have a couple of other ones from before we cleaned everything up. We're constantly adding new stuff. Look, this is the way that we're trying to support the podcast. Uh, if you guys could see our setup, it's pretty its pretty terrible. Uh, Garrett's using a microphone that's clipped to his shirt, hanging out in a closet. I'm just in a in, in my room, and I, I think I echo like crazy. Uh, podcast stuff is way more pricey than I thought, and you'd be surprised how shockingly little money, hint, zero, you make from just having a podcast. So we're trying to keep this as ad-free as possible because ads are just incredibly annoying, This is how we're kind of trying to supplement some of that uh, podcast revenue that we don't make. Uh, We're not going to get rich selling these t-shirts, but we are hoping that we could use some of that revenue, improve our setup a little bit and thus make the listening experience better for you guys. So if you are enjoying the podcast, this is the way you can help contribute so that it continues to get better each and every week.
0: Yes. And we will put up some, continue to put up more shirts and you know, now that every think everyone knows if you're a regular listener that we have the site, we'll, you know, we'll keep tweeting out the links to it. We'll put them in the show notes. Um, you know, we won't spend them this much time talking about the shirts cause we just want to let you know that we did clean it up a bit and it will be easier to find something that you want. Um, cause we just cut it down to where there's one listing or one thing showing for each shirt. And then you can go pick which color, uh, color or, um, shirt option, you know, if you want the nicer cotton or the long sleeve or crew neck, whatever. Um, And then something we got into, and Jeff and I were talking about this before we hopped into the show, um, when we were kind of running through our agenda was sunflower seeds, because Jeff bought a new brand and we were talking about it and we started going down this rabbit hole. And I said, pause, like, this is going to be something that will be better as a segment on the show. So what is this brand that you got, Jeff, that you said they are too big to eat?
1: Yeah, so it's South Forty giant-sized sunflower seeds, and I totally got sold by an Instagram ad. We just got a puppy in our house, and so I have to wake up in the middle of the night and take the dog out. And uh, when I do that, I can't go back to sleep. So this was like a two thirty in the morning hanging out on Instagram, and they targeted me because the world is watching you on the internet. And South Forty, I start seeing these ads, and I'm seeing these giant-sized sunflower seeds, and I think to myself, okay. That sounds reasonable, let's give it a shot. So I order probably too many of these sunflower seeds. It comes in a big box today. The first thing I do, I open it up, I pour out a handful, and I just pop it into my mouth like I normally would. And these seeds are gigantic. I mean, really, they are enormous. So I try to just do the regular, like, my flow, right? Taking the seed from cheek into my teeth to crack it, spit it out, eat the seed, And it's too big. It's like my mouth doesn't know what to do. My seeds are getting caught up as I'm trying to move it from cheek to teeth to crack. It's like getting caught in my mouth. I'm dropping seeds out of my mouth. I'm spitting the seed out after I crack it because everything is just so big. My mouth doesn't know what to do. They taste delicious. They are fantastic. But I feel like I have to eat them like I'm a five year old one at a time because they are enormous. And I really, I had four or five handfuls and I, I started to feel a little bit full. It's a little bit weird. There's only one flavor. It's just original, salted. So if you're into like flavored sunflower seeds, this South 40 isn't the brand for you. But it's a good seed. It's just enormous and it's a little mm-hmm. bit weird
0: to eat. I'm just, I always, I'm a tried and true. I stick with Spitz. And it's always, I like the Spitz cracked pepper and the spicy sweet chili. I think anytime I get a spicy sweet, that's like that flavor is my calling card. And that's, it's, I don't know, have you ever tried like the, the Thai sweet chili sauce?
1: Yeah, they like
0: so like that stuff. Dude, I put it on rice. Like we'll put it on quesadillas. Like we put that on everything in our house. I love it. And the spicy sweet chili, spits. Like I remember when little, was like always wanted David because David was like the name brand. That was like
1: the only one there. Yeah,
0: it's true. And it was when you're at little league, you know, you go up to the snack thing after your game, and you got like a big old wad of big league chew in your cheek, trying to think that you're cool, and you're just like, oh, I want some David seeds. I don't like David anymore. It's I'm past that. They really only sell, seems like they only sell salted ranch and barbecue, which are all like, meh, not my favorite. I don't mind barbecue, but cracked pepper, spicy, sweet chili. Stay away from the salted caramel. Spitz, stop making those. Nobody likes them. They're disgusting.
1: Spitz makes a pizza sunflower seed that they sell in Canada. It's delicious. It sounds awful, but it's delicious. Really. But I will Um, say on David, there is a spot for David. Because I'm with you most of the time. They're so salty now. That it just sort of feels like your cheeks by the time you're done eating a bag of David sunflower seeds are just so raw and chewed up, and then you get cankers a week later. It's a mess. But there is a spot for David seeds, and it's when you mix the jalapeno hot salsa with a bag of spit still pickle, and it's like a spicy pickle. It's delicious. It's my favorite mix of any seeds, and I, I eat a lot of seeds. Another brand really, I should be on the payroll of a lot of these different companies and my gosh, sponsor this podcast. Chinook Seeds, they're based out of Las Vegas. They do some of the most delicious sunflower seeds I've ever had. They have a Parmesan, I can't remember what it is, like Parmesan pepper or something like that. And it is the most delicious sunflower seed I had ever had in my life until I started eating the rest of the Chinook Seeds. Everything I had was good except for they make a cinnamon toast one. Those are not good.
0: Those are those are salted caramel. That's in the salted caramel category. Yeah,
1: stop trying to make seeds a dessert. It's gross. But they do. Oh my gosh, they make so many good ones. They have a hatch chili one that is absolutely divine. Ooh. So yeah, uh, chinook seeds, parmesan and pepper. That's what it is. Parmesan and pepper and hatch chili. They are top notch sunflower seeds.
0: I'm I'm prepping for a big road trip that's going to happen this summer. Um, As we are moving back across the country and uh it's i might have to uh i might have to give me some order some hatch chili seeds i have not tried i think i don't know who was the first person to were you the first person to find those or was it uh i remember travis turner dear good friend of the show um talking about them at some point but i don't know who told i think it was me
1: i think it was me and it was another late night instagram purchase that i made They're way more expensive than they
0: should be for a bag of sunflower seeds. But at night. It's because they're from Austin. It's everything from Austin is stupid. Is it
1: Austin? They came from Vegas. Maybe they ship out of, anyway. Uh, They they are probably more money than they should be, Uh, but they're delicious, man. And so I think I've ordered them three or four times and the money, it doesn't feel so expensive when it's like 2.30 in the morning and you're a little bit groggy. So if you're questioning whether you should spend that amount of money on sunflower seeds, just wait till the middle of the night and you can't sleep and then it won't feel so expensive.
0: Yeah. I mean, so I'm looking at the website right now and it's twenty seven dollars for a twelve pack, which honestly that's not that terrible consider like I mean you figure you go to a gas station, you're gonna spend two seventy five, three bucks for a bag of seeds anyway. So there spending, you, you know, that's that's not that bad to spend two twenty-five for a bag. I don't know. They might be smaller bags, but it's really not terrible. You just you have to buy them in bulk. Um, so getting in now 20 minutes into the show, we actually are getting to the BYU content. First on the top of our list is – well, actually, let's get basketball out of the way. First, Caleb Lohner. Chill out. It's happening. We don't know why it hasn't been announced yet, but there's nothing to worry about. He's been released from Utah. He's going to sign with BYU. And let, I mean – Until the ink is dry, it could always change, but there's no need to worry right now. I think that's all we need to say.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, here's my... I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I don't think this is conspiracy. I'm going to call this an educated conspiracy because it is based on things that I've been told, not just whims out of my imagination. Uh, The whole tampering stuff, like it, it created a lot of noise. I don't think that the loner family really wants to deal with that. I don't think the loner family feels like there was tampering. And so I think that there is a little bit of a delay simply because let's let that story die down and then we can announce this that, Hey, we're playing at BYU. We're not going to go to Utah. And then they can hopefully have a little bit less controversy when they announce it. I don't know that that's necessarily going to happen. I think when it gets announced, there's going to be controversy, no matter what, but I do think that's playing a role. Uh, from what I've been told, Loner may already be signed. I'm not going to say that's confirmed, but I'm going to say that uh, I'm comfortable enough saying it out loud on a podcast that he may already be signed and they just haven't announced it. Uh, that might be the case. So everybody take a big, deep breath. It's going to be okay. Caleb Loner it's going to be fine. Okay. So we talk football now. Yes. Now that we're 25 minutes into this show, should we talk football?
0: Yes, let's talk football. Starting with Isaiah Heron, it was kind of he announced on Instagram that he was entering the transfer portal, and other players on the team had mentioned, um, you know, that he specifically was wanting to transfer to an HBCU. If you haven't heard of an HBCU, stands for historically black college and or university, and to qualify, there's. I mean, there are maybe some other ones that are not historically black or that have predominantly um, black students. But to be an HBCU means you're a part of um, – they were established before the Civil Rights Act, before segregation was ended. And they do receive some more funding, different things from the the Thurgood Thurgood Marshall Fund. Um, But, you know, they fulfill a very – unique niche um, in a lot of ways, very similar to BYU. I'm not going to try to equate them. Obviously they're very different, but I think everybody who is a BYU fan should understand the allure of wanting to go to an institution that is specifically designed and operates around helping people that are in your unique life circumstances. And there's a lot of pride in HBCUs, if you look at the FCS attendance numbers and D2 attendance numbers, they're always the highest attended things. Like even some of them, like Jackson State had the highest attendance last year in the FCS and they averaged like 33,000 fans a game. That's a lot better than a lot of FBS schools. They're very well supported. They have a lot of pride in something is you know that was built specifically for the African-American community because unfortunately for a long, long time in this country, they were not. They did not have the same educational opportunities available to them, so they had to go out and make their own. And you know, HBCUs supply. I think the majority of African American doctors and dentists and lawyers and PhDs come from these students um, from these institutions. And so he felt that he wanted to go, reach out, and he wanted to finish his career even, you know, foregoing playing time at the FBS level against P5 schools to go finish at an FCS program and kind of get more in touch with his heritage and that aspect of the culture he grew up in. Um, But in the end, he decided to come back. So can you kind of replay, like, why do what are some factors do you think of why he decided to come back or what he said in his statement, which he, I don't know if you want to pull it up and we can read it here, that he said a very profound, um, said something very profound as he, Of why he decided to stay at BYU and the impact that he can make in Provo.
1: Yeah, he did. I I loved his statement. He said, let's get to it here. I want to start off by saying thank you to all the historically black colleges and universities willing to give me an opportunity after I put my name in the transfer portal. I also want to thank BYU from the entire football staff to the president. I want to make it clear that my intentions to leave were not because of BYU. This place has been nothing but great to me by providing opportunities and relationships that I am grateful to have. The reason I wanted to leave was due to the current climate in America in regards to racial injustice and the killing of unarmed black men and women. I felt a historically black college was the best place that I could help tackle these injustices because of the culture and locations of the schools. With a little more time to think, I have made the decision to stay here at BYU. I realized I can have an impact in this state by opening eyes here and help other African Americans in Utah because of the small amount of diversity that's here. I'm looking forward to using my opportunities here to make a positive impact. I think that's a really profound statement. Look, uh, you don't have to agree with Isaiah Heron's politics and with his beliefs. But I think that we are to a point. I mean, look, Yoli Childs said basically the same kind of a thing, right? That, hey, it's bad, and it's impacted me too. And and so these are guys who are at BYU that BYU fans love. They worship, right? Like, Yoli Childs is a hero when he walks into the Marriott Center. And when he says something like, hey, there's a problem, we owe it to them to listen. Whether we agree with everything they say, if you hop on Isaiah Heron's Instagram – It's a lot of things, right? A lot of stories, a lot of beliefs about systemic racism and things like that. And whether or not you believe, it's important to at least hear what they're saying, because their experiences in their eyes are true. And BYU, I think, really has come a long ways in terms of their own diversity on campus. And I think that this post by Isaiah really kind of illustrates how far BYU has come. Uh, Throughout their history, there's, you know, there's a a history there with BYU and their race relationships that isn't always great. Um, But for him to say, look, I wanted to transfer out of BYU, not because of BYU. I wanted to go and learn more somewhere else. My experience here is great. And my experience here has been so great that I'm going to come back here and I'm going to continue to make a positive impact. You have to admire somebody like that. You have to admire somebody who has the conviction that Isaiah Heron had, that he was going to sacrifice playing time, sacrifice a big time schedule, sacrifice big time football, to go and do what he felt was right by transferring to a historically black college, to go somewhere that he could learn more about his heritage, his culture, and where he thought he could be a catalyst for change. We can get into the reasons. I've already had people that have reached out and been like, no, he said what he said. He went and entered the transfer portal and he didn't have D1 interest. So he came back and that's why he's at BYU. That's wrong. It's just categorically false.
0: Especially at the FCS level. Like he yeah. was a starter and got starter minutes at a mid level right now FBS program. He would have plenty of interest from the FCS level. And there's, it is absolutely false that no school would be interested in him.
1: It's absolutely false. And there's no reason to doubt his story that's what's so frustrating when i when i first saw comments like that it was infuriating like this is a kid who is willing to go and try and do something that he thought was right not just for him but for his culture for his people around him his family his future family he was he wants to be a catalyst for change why on earth would we doubt that what do we gain by publicly doubting that it's it's ridiculous that that even was a comment and, and it's
0: we, not i mean I guess, sorry to interrupt you. I would say, like, more so if it was, if he hadn't played it down at all in the two years that he's been on campus, then I might think, like, okay, yeah, he just wants playing time, right? But it's that's not the case here. He was going – like, he was going to play meaningful minutes against six Power 5 programs plus Boise State, seven Power 5 programs this year. And he was going willing to walk away from that. And like you said, and so it's – yeah, I, I'm that's shocked awesome. – it's asinine Don't and it, right? Don't we need more it. people like Isaiah Heron in the program. Like that is exactly what when you think of the mission of BYU football and saying like, Hey, this is BYU. We have the honor code. We hold ourselves to a higher standard of like, you know, this is what we, you know, obviously we understand nobody's perfect, but we are trying to live a better life and follow and be more Christ-like. All those things, everything about the entire mission of saying, we want people like with high integrity and high moral character who want to make a difference in the world. Isaiah Heron is the exact type of person that we want in our program. So if you have a problem with what he said, then like I have a problem with you cheering for BYU, honestly, right now. Because he, he is the type of player that we need to come in and make a difference for the university. And he's, I mean, he said that he will come in and he realized he can make a huge difference at BYU. And I hope that he stays close to the program, you know, even after his career is done.
1: Yeah, any, any player who has enough conviction in their beliefs to set all of the football success aside and go to an FCS school, set aside playing time, set aside the big time, you know, maybe a shot at the NFL, to go and transfer to a school because he thinks that it's going to be better for his culture, his heritage, you have to admire the hell out of that. And it, is, it, it was infuriating to me that there were comments doubting what he said, when it's been consistent with what others have said with what we've reported at Cougar Sports Insider and with his message when he was coming back, all of that has been consistent the entire time. To doubt him is ridiculous. We need to have more players like Isaiah Heron at BYU because they offer, you don't have to agree with what he's saying. You don't have to agree with defunding the police or whatever. It's not about the politics. It's about BYU creating an environment where we can disagree, where there can be different cultures, where there can be different points of view and everybody feels comfortable, everybody feels safe, and everybody feels like they can have an experience at BYU that will allow them to be a catalyst for change in whatever environment they end up in after they're done with BYU. That is the mission of Brigham Young University. And for us to, for anybody, to doubt somebody who is excited about that mission and willing to be a double minority at BYU to say, well, he just didn't get the interest that he wanted from bigger schools, so he came back. Absolutely ridiculous, infuriating to me. Uh, And I hope that everybody else shares that passion of how uh, just how upsetting that was. I think it's just a stupid comment.
0: It really is. And nobody, if we go back, I guess, like, what, eight, nine seasons now, when Uona Kavenga transferred from USC to BYU saying he wanted to be better environment or when Uwani unga transferred from oregon state to byu or any other of the number of lds transfers of guys that have gone to different schools and then said you know what hey actually i want to be in provo i'm gonna transfer that happens all the time and we don't blink about it we don't even think about it because we understand hey this is an lds guy who probably might feel out of place now that he's gone on a mission and come back he might feel out of place in this different program but we have a program that's designed just for him and if you don't see like it's that's what i'm saying at the beginning of how it is very similar in that what their mission and what they're doing is and who they are targeting like yeah it's if you would not have said oh that's stupid that he's transferring to BYU just because he's a member of the church if if you're a BYU fan and you think that then i don't know really that's kind of odd but you wouldn't say that to any player coming in so when he said for the exact same reason why he wanted to leave and what my i can hypothesizer. Well, I I don't know if this happened or not. I don't know anything about Isaiah's personal situation, but just to kind of clarify for the listeners. So at the FBS level, there are 85 scholarships. You can sign 25 new players a year, but you can have 85 players total on scholarship in your program. At the FBS level, all scholarships, 100% cover tuition and books and some type of a living stipend. Not every school covers the full cost of attendance, but you at least get tuition and books. At the FCS level, which all HBCUs are either FCS or D2, at the D2 level, and even at the FCS level, they are the lowest funded, some of the lowest funded athletic programs in all of Division I. They do not participate in the FCS playoffs there are two there are two main conferences and their conference champions play in a bowl game to crown the HBCU national champion at the end of the year and at the FCS level you have 63 scholarships to divvy up among 85 players so this late in the game it's likely that you know he I guarantee you he had lots of schools reaching out to him mm-hmm. especially across you know there's between the SWAC and the MIAC, I think there's like 21 or 22 programs there. I'm sure he had a number of them. He had opportunities to play, but late in the summer, it's probably hard to nail down a full ride scholarship. And if you're looking at paying out-of-state tuition, like I looked up today, if you go to Grambling or Southern, the Louisiana schools, it's like $16,500 a year for out-of-state tuition. Or South Carolina State or Wafford, it's closer to like $20 plus thousand dollars. So if he financially, that probably You know, if he wasn't able to secure a full scholarship, then that may have been part of it. And we may see him stay another year and then get in the portal earlier next year if he decides, the yes, that is something I want to do. But either way, Isaiah, we are happy you are here. We are glad you're here. And we need more men like you in the program.
1: And from a football standpoint, he's a heck of a player. He's going to play. BYU is, like, weirdly deep at the cornerback position for BYU standards. Uh, But Isaiah Heron is going to be top three or four guys he's going to be in the rotation Um, as BYU play they play a few more teams that are going to spread out the offense put five receivers on the field Isaiah is a guy who can play the nickel spot if he needs to Um, he's going to be on the field it's a it's from a football standpoint it's great but Isaiah Heron coming back we just spent 15 minutes talking about the non-football impact that he'll have because that's how great it is but don't mistake that for thinking that you know, we're downplaying the caliber of player that he is. He's a heck of a player and he's going to play. It's a big deal. So and moving
0: on from Isaiah Heron,
1: anything else you want to add? I, I got a little bit, uh, a little bit fired up there.
0: Talking, I am like, I, I'm fired up thinking, cause I read the majority of the comments. We don't want to say, you know, obviously the, maj- the vast majority of the comments were, Hey, this was awesome. Like that's awesome that you were going for something you believe in, but there were a few knuckleheads You need to get slapped upside the head. And Jeff and I got we were fired up as we were looking on the Zoom chat seeing each other. We were both visibly we're getting fired up talking about this. So Isaiah, we got your back. Um, let's move on to Lamise Patterson.
1: Hold on. I did buy an Isaiah Heron jersey off of DH Gate.
0: Oh, send me the link. I, I to. for the custom BYU jerseys for I uh, yeah. might have to get might have to get something for Cougar Day coming up. I
1: was I was feeling I mean, I was going to do it either way. I was kind of hoping that he would end up at like Grambling or something so I could get a Grambling jersey. Uh, But I'm more than happy to have an Isaiah Heron jersey. I'm not a jersey guy, but I felt like I needed an Isaiah Heron jersey that I can proudly wear uh, as my showing of, look, I'm happy that he's here. I'm really glad. And I hope that BYU fans really can understand and respect regardless of his political opinion and what your political opinion is. I hope that they can respect that there's a guy who's willing to put his political opinions out on the forefront of everything that he does that feels comfortable, not only at BYU, but comfortable enough to come back to BYU and make a big change. I think that's huge. I hope that he is one of the fan favorites for however much longer he's here. I hope he's here for two, three more years, and he's a big fan favorite at BYU. Hey, man. All
0: right, I'm uh, done. Okay, so now we have Lamise Patterson, who is a preferred walk-on. Tell us about yeah. the mystery man.
1: So he popped up, I think it was a Cougar Board post that, uh, that first started talking about Lamise Patterson because there was an old article from some local newspaper back in February of him signing with BYU. Um, somebody posted about it on our board. I can't remember if they linked the article or looked the Cougar Board post or whatever. But Lamise Patterson gets brought up I've never heard this name. I feel like I cover BYU recruiting uh probably better than anybody. And that's not to pat myself on the back. I just feel like I know uh what's going on. And I had legitimately no clue who LaVise Patterson was. I'd never heard his name. So I did some digging. Um and I I'm not gonna go into a ton of detail, but it sounds like there was I don't know I, I don't know what the word is. I don't know if it's just simple miscommunication, disorganization. I don't know what it was, but there was some um, uh I guess, uncertainty about Lemise in the program. Uh, but a background on who he is, not a scholarship player. Um, I think he had a scholarship offer at some point, but when he signed, he, he, he didn't sign a national letter of intent, meaning he's not a scholarship player. He is a preferred walk-on. He's also a member of the church. He's going to go on a mission first. So the reason that BYU hasn't announced him is, one, he's a walk-on, and, two, he's a walk-on that they're not going to see for a few years. So they couldn't announce him. No matter what he signed, he couldn't be announced. So Lamise Patterson will join the program after a mission. I don't know what side of the ball he will play, and I don't know that the staff knows what side of the ball he will play on. That's where some of the ambiguity comes in and some of that, the, the questions of organization – um, and, and you know we're not going to delve into a ton of details about that. I know what's going to happen. People are going to hear you know uncertainty or disorganization in the program, and everybody immediately wants to jump down Kalani's throat. Look, he made the change, right? Like there, there was an old director, player of personnel, and a director of recruiting. They're no longer the directors of player of personnel and a director of recruiting. Fiti Samano has been removed from that position and replaced by Jason IU. Like that's the change. You know, if somebody screws up or if something happens that results in a scenario that you're not in the best position that you can be in to win and succeed, you make a change. And that's what Kalani did. I I think it'd be kind of pointless to argue, well, how could a mistake like that happen in his program? Look, mistakes are going to happen. You don't want them to happen. Nobody wants them to happen. But what you do want to happen is when mistakes come up, the reaction is quick fixing that mistake happens quickly. Here we are. That's what happened. It's a new Era of BYU recruiting now under Jason IU and Jack DeMooney. I would never think that this is going to come up again. From what I know, talking to recruits, talking to other sources in and out of the program, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if something like this were to happen under Jason IU's watch. Uh, but it did happen, and anyway, changes have been made.
0: And it yes, yeah, just to reiterate, this was a very old article. It was from it was from Signing Day. And so somehow it popped up and I guess the way, I mean, people think of like a recruiting coordinator, like, yes, you got to get creative. You, you are in charge of the messaging. So it's kind of marketing, but in terms of working with the coaching staff, you are a project, let me put this in normal business terms for you. You are a project manager. That is your PM. Like you are the one who's supposed to take every notes. If a coach says something to you off the cuff about a player or a certain recruit, you're supposed to write it down and make sure that it doesn't get forgotten. And that is your job is to keep tabs of every single thing. And it's even harder BYU because you have guys coming and going on missions and making sure the, not just the seasons, but the semesters and the off season get slotted right with guys being on campus. And you are a project manager who does some marketing around the program, but the, and Jason, like you said, we've both talked to Jason extensively. He is very on top of it, and things are in a very good place with both him and Jack DeMooney right now in charge of player personnel within the program. Um, so that's Lamise Patterson. I mean, we're talking about it now because news is slow, but he's going on a mission now this season. So it the earliest you would see him is 2022. Um, and truth be told, I would not be surprised if that doesn't happen and if he ends up at a Juco when he comes back or at an FCS school or something, um, or maybe he comes back, but he is a preferred walk on. He's not taking a scholarship. Um, so, the last thing that we have now, getting into the end of our show, um, last week we talked about the offense. We talked about how last year, even though it didn't look great, the offense in a lot of ways did take a big step forward. And we talked a lot about the quarterbacks and how it's going to be Zach Wilson's job to lose, Jaron Hall's right behind him, and then there's a, a good gap to Baylor Romney, but all three are capable. Um, we kind of summarized it down. I was actually looking at this this week um, again. And in 2018, the offense, the total offense, so just yards per game, um, was 101 in the country Ooh. and averaged 365 yards a game. Last year in 2019, they moved up to 28. So if you said total offense, 30th in the country, nobody would have believed you last year because. Really, they struggled at getting the ball in the end zone and putting points on the board. But everywhere else on the field, they actually did really well. And so comparatively, you know, going again. And those, the strength of schedule across 2018 and 2019 were very similar. So the offense really improved last year, even though the record didn't. And at times, it seemed like they took a step backwards. And we're going to talk about this, especially going in with the offensive line. This, um, the rest of our preview So this is the year to put it together We have the rest of the offensive preview So we're going to start off with the running backs And so we have DHC, Devontae Henry Cole trans- Is a graduate transfer from Utah um, Sione Finau How's his, I guess let's start with Finau, um, Because I think he was the one that really I think when he had that 47 yard or whatever run Touchdown against Boise State Everybody was like, who is this kid, where has he been And he was like a revelation for the next few games Until he got hurt in practice. And then he still ended up being the leading rusher on the season. Um, but how is he doing? And let's talk about DHC and Lopini Katoa.
1: So torn ACL for female, um, that sucks. It's a tough injury. It's a, f- it's a funny injury, right? Because I think that most of us who are football fans for the last 10 or 15 years, uh, 15 years ago, an ACL injury, meant not only do you miss whatever is left of that season, you probably miss the next season as well. That's not the case anymore. I've heard Finau is progressing really, really well. And the question isn't will he play? It's how many games will he play? Will he play in 10 games or will he play in six games? Uh, the first question that people are going to come up and ask is they're going to say, is it worth burning a redshirt year? He's already redshirt once, so he would have to have a medical redshirt. So he's either going to have to shut down for the entire year because he can't play. And I don't think that's going to be the case. So in my mind, might as well throw him out there. I mean, if you get down to maybe two or three games is all that he's going to play. He cleared until November. Then yeah, go ahead and shut him down. I think that's an easy thing to do. But if he's close in September and he can maybe join the program and start playing in Week Three, I think you let him play. So, anyways, progressing really well. Devonte Henry Cole. Uh, that's going to be the favorite name, right? From a talent standpoint he's got it all. I mean, he's got all the, he's got the speed. He's, he's stronger. I mean, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's super strong. He's got the potential to be really, really good. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits at BYU. Look, he's not Tyson Williams. Tyson was a little bit different. He came from the sec and he wanted to be a, an immediate leader on the team. He was involved in player run practices. He was doing Hosting a lot of different things uh, with players, and he immediately ascended into that captain type role. And I don't know that that's DHC's personality. I think he's a little bit more of a laid-back guy. Uh, Look, we're close to a lot of people with the Utah program as well, with the guys over at Ute Zone. And there, there were questions even when he was still at Utah about how much work he wanted to put in. He was just naturally good. He didn't have to, you know, practice and spend. 10 hours a day in the gym, he was just naturally pretty good. And so that's not Harvey Younger's style. Harvey younga it's his first year as a running backs coach, but Harvey Younga was a workhorse when he played. Uh, he was a workhorse in the NFL. That's why he stuck for as long as he did. I mean, it was only three or four years, but he was a workhorse. He just outworked everybody. And so I'm anxious to see how much Unga's personality and maybe Devonte Henry Cole's personality don't necessarily drive a jive is that going to play a role in his ultimate playing time. I look at a guy like Lapini Katoa who he's not going to be an NFL running back. I don't think anybody would dispute that, but he works incredibly hard and he's been productive. When he's in the game, he's productive. I wonder if Harvey will look at that and say, "Look, Katoa's earned it." People forget Harvey's a Bronco guy that you go out and you earn your playing time. And if you work hard and you have grit, you'll probably play ahead of the guy who has more natural talent than you. I wonder if Katoa could end up being RB1 unless Devontae Henry Cole hits fall camp and just outworks everybody. But I think that's going to play a role in how playing time is distributed among any of those running backs. Anything. Add to running backs before we move on.
0: I mean, I think he Katoa doesn't get nearly enough love. And it really his, – his problem is that he doesn't have great top-end speed. Like, he's quick but not too quick. He's just barely fast enough, but he's not going to be a home run threat the way Finau is. Or, and Henry Cole is also faster than him. But he's still been very productive. I mean, he has more career production in his two seasons than – Uh, he has more production in his two seasons at BYU than Henry Cole did in three years at Utah, both, you know, catching the ball and running the ball. He's a great all around back. He's honestly, he's the best
1: pass blocker on the team and it's not close.
0: Yes, he is the best pass blocker. He kind of reminds me almost of like a JJ DiLuigi where he was never the most athletic guy, but he just worked hard. He was a little smaller, um, I guess Kato is not smaller, but he's not, he's not a bruiser by any means. He's bad. The speed of a bruiser, but he's not the size of a bruiser, but he's a little smaller, but he catches the ball. He tries to block well and he's got great vision, but he just doesn't have, he does a lot of things really good, but he doesn't have other than his pass blocking, which goes unnoticed by fans. He doesn't have anything that he will just do so amazing well that every single fan takes notice. He's just very reliable. And so if he is RB one, then, that's awesome. And it will be because he's earned it and he will be the one who puts the team in the best position to win. Um, you know, being, having, being a home run threat that can go to the house every time you touch the ball is not the end all be all to being a good running back. Um, moving on to the offensive line, you talked about this week, um, on our VIP board a little bit with the offensive line and how last year they, it really was almost a miracle job. And you wouldn't notice this unless you got into the X's and O's and seen what they were doing. And you and I have both done this where we've gotten on Zoom calls with Eric Mateos and where we've been the stupid dunces in the room with 25 other Division I offensive line coaches and, you know, where Mate- Coach Mateos is up there talking, drawing on the whiteboard, showing clips of film and things. And they, people would notice that they completely changed once Keanu saleh went down and Tristan Hodge went down early in the season they completely changed the blocking scheme and how the entire approach of the running game down the back half of the season and we you and I both both witnessed that there were multiple coaches that were like almost unsure like what you guys did that in the middle of the season and completely switched from doing you know running an outside in like a gap based scheme to a zone scheme and going more inside you're going less inside and flipping to more outside and completely change. And for us who didn't play at a high level, you know, you hear it and you think like, okay, you went from inside to outside. Like, okay, we all know what an A gap is and a B gap is and a C gap is, but it is way more complex than that in the level of blocking schemes, the number of reads these guys are making and what they're trying to do and setting up things like what they're doing in the first quarter, trying to set thing up, something up in the second quarter. So that way in the fourth quarter, they can come back with something that looks similar, but it's completely different. You know, it's they're playing 40 chess with the blocking scheme and they completely ripped out, and gutted that design and what they did and understood we can't do this with the guys that we have that are healthy right now because we have, you know, former quarterback Blake Freeland playing his first snaps ever as an offensive lineman against a top 15 Boise state team. It's not going to work. We have to do something different and we need to do it now. And it really put them in a hard spot because they couldn't focus on getting really better technically in their position because the entire last half of the season, they were doing stuff that normally you do in fall camp in terms of installing plays and saying, this is the scheme and this is what your job is rather than let's focus on your technique and execution. so what are your thoughts on the offensive line? I'm very excited. It's the best group probably on the offensive line that we had since 2006. And it's, they're going to be good and we're going to run the ball well.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, – I mean, you hit it on the head. Um, transitioning from a gap-based running scheme to a zone-based running scheme on the fly midseason while playing a mess of young freshmen, that's not easy to do. Um, now going forward into this year, BYU has eight, nine guys who have starting experience and they have a lot of guys, Blake Freeland, Brady Christensen, James Empey, who did both. And so in the NFL, I mean, the NFL, these, the offensive lines are, are crazy, right? Those athletes are insane and they do a lot of this. Well, they'll, they'll come out and it'll look like a zone run and it's actually a gap a based blocking scheme and they can change mid drive. I don't think BYU is going to get that creative. I don't think that they have the, the overall talent to be running some of those NFL-type schemes. But they, I think, do have the experience and talent that they can give multiple blocking looks uh, in the same game. I think that's going to play a big role. I absolutely love the offensive line. Brady Christensen is a stud. He's an NFL guy. James Empey is a stud. He's an NFL guy. Blake Freeland is young but he's a stud and he will be an NFL guy. People forget how good Tristan Hodge was as a, uh, as a, I guess a sophomore two years ago. Look, he was hurt against Utah. People don't realize that he got hurt during that Utah game. He tried to play. I think he played through Toledo, if I remember right. And he, he looked awful after that Utah game, but against Utah, he did fine. He did really well against an, a defensive line that ended up with three guys in the NFL. And he looked good. He looked like the Tristan Hodge we all hoped he would be.
0: He was planning on leaving after last season and declaring for the draft. That was his goal and his stated plan.
1: Yep. And now that he's healthy, he's back on that track. People have kind of written him off because he looked terrible, especially against Toledo. I remember Toledo. He got smoked a couple of times. That injury was really slowing him down. He tried to play through it, which you admire. But ultimately, uh, he needed – to shut it down. That's what he did. He's healthy now, and he's back to being the Tristan Hodge that he was before. I love Kiano Sulliapaga, Kiefer Longson. People have kind of written him off as a bust because he was a big four star. Uh, look, the guy's been effective when he's healthy. He just can't stay healthy. But when he's healthy, he's been really, really good for BYU. There's a long- half
0: the season, or played with a broken foot for part of the year. Which how fun right. is an offensive lineman that's
1: it's impossible. So he's, he's tough. He's, he's good. He's been really good. He's not the tackle that everybody thought he would be, uh, but he's found a home on the inside of BYU's offensive line and he's effective. So BYU has got names. I mean, we could keep talking about names. BYU has got names. They're deep. And that will be the strength of the offense. And I don't think it will be close. Now I want to move. We're going to split the wide receivers and the tight ends apart. Uh, last year, and really in my mind, I kind of like to look at them as one group of just pass catchers. But I think in, in, in terms of this preview, we have to split it apart because the, the the overall experience of both of those groups is just so different. Well, t- quickly about tight ends. Let's let's start with tight ends because it's going to take ten seconds. Matt Bushman is back. That's great. Matt Bushman needs to get more physical. He needs to learn how to create more separation out of man, off of man coverage. That's in, why,
0: in the red zone, which is where he struggles and why his touchdown numbers are low.
1: Yeah. That's, people, that's what we're getting
0: at when we say that.
1: People point to Jeff Grimes and play calling of not targeting Bushman enough in the red zone. Uh, if he's not open, it doesn't make any sense to target Bushman in the red zone. He's got to get more physical at the line of scrimmage, and he has got to create more space against man coverage. When he does that, he's going to be unstoppable. Behind him, Isaac Rex. I'm a huge fan of Isaac Rex. I think he's going to be great at BYU. I don't think he will just be a contributor. I think he will be great by the time he is done. uh, He's going to have a big deal, uh, a really big career, and I think it starts this year. He makes a big impact.
0: Do you think Isaac Rex will have as big of an impact this year as Dallin Holker did as a freshman in 2018 before going on his mission?
1: I think he will have a bigger impact. Holker Great because he, he was so versatile. He I think he ended up with less than 200 receiving yards. I think Rex re- eclipses that. But where Holker was so great is he he lined up in, as an HVAC a lot for BYU. And that was cool because given what the offense needed, especially early in 2018 with Mangum the quarterback, they needed that weapon out of the HVAC spot um rex is going to be a traditional tight end he's going to line up in line a lot of the time he's going to be a machine in the blocking game and he is he is elite his his route running is elite already and i think he's going to play a big role i'm also a big fan of bentley handshaw i don't know if he sees the field or not uh this year playing behind bushman but to me he's a matt bushman clone uh he's got to get more physical he's got to get a little bit better creating space But the guy, his hands are as elite as Matt Bushman's hands are. And over time, you're going to hear the name Bentley Hanshaw. That's the tight ends. Now let's get into the receivers. It's a big deal. The receivers, man, they lost a lot. You lose Talon Shumway, Micah Simon, and Aleva Hifo. That's a lot of production. Now, say what you will, none of those guys ended up getting drafted. Um, You know, they're not surefire NFL guys. Aleva Hifo signed a contract, and he's the only one of those three who even got a free agent deal. But they were productive while they were at BYU, and they were staples. They were relied upon. They didn't put up gaudy numbers, but they were relied upon. And now BYU loses them and has to replace them with a whole bunch of inexperience. The guys who are going to do that are going to be Gunnar, uh, Gunnar Romney and Dax Mill. Those are going to be the first two guys. Neil Powell is going to be in the mix as well. And it really is kind of a natural fit for each of those. Gunner and Micah Simon are really similar. Micah is a step faster than Gunner. I think Gunner is a better route runner than Micah. But in terms of the way that they can impact a football game, really similar. Dax Mill and Aleva Hifo, really similar type of impact. And Talon Shumway and, and Neil Pau, man, I mean they look like clones to me. So uh, BYU has the guys there, but they've got to prove themselves. Gunner Romney has to step up. He, he, he was more he was more effective than fans want to give him credit for. BYU fans, I think we all expected him to be like a, an immediate wide receiver one, come in, have eight 900 yards as a freshman. That didn't happen. But he was effective last year. He was fourth on the team in receiving behind those three seniors who were ahead of him. Um, all he's got to do is continue his trajectory forward. He's on the right path. He's on a good trajectory. If he can end the year with six, seven, six 700 yards of receiving, that's that's exactly what BYU needs out of Gunnar Romney. Uh, Dax Milne, man, I am driving the Dax Milne bus. Uh, he's a walk-on. He's a sh- small walk-on a white kid out of Bingham High School. So you just look at him, and I think everybody is kind of preconditioned to writing him off as another. He's good for BYU. No, dude, he's good. <laughs> Dax Milne is good. He was a steal as a walk-on. That guy is... He is the best receiver that BYU has, and I think including guys like Chris Jacks and Cody Epps that we'll talk about later. Dax Milne is the best receiver on BYU's roster at getting off of man coverage. If he's lined up in the slot in one-on-one coverage, Zach Wilson, whoever the quarterback is, needs to check into a go route because Dax Milne will win those battles more often than any other receiver on BYU's team.
0: He's surprisingly fast, but he is just a technician and he he runs the best route of any routes of anybody in the receiver's room and he honestly he has the best hands. There was one, I think it was against USF. There was a touchdown that he had that Jaron Hall threw to him and it was an over-the-shoulder kind of diving awkward catch and it just really showed what he can do and like you said it's i think he works best out of the slot where he has room to go in and out he's not going to do great in a z position pinned up against the sideline but he is a good receiver and is very underappreciated by fans and i mean there is a reason that he got playing time as a true freshman walk on you know against wisconsin and against you know the bigger names on the schedule It did they didn't wait till injuries the injury bug happened and he's trotting on the field against new mexico state at the end of the season you know it's he he got his, he has earned his playing time the last two years. And, you know, he only had 21 catches like Lopini Katoa actually had more catches and yards than him last year, but he, you know, he, he was behind
1: Hifo all year long. I mean, right. that, he that he played behind part. Hifo
0: and it's really, I mean, it's last year, Micah Simon was the leading receiver. I mean, um, with 616 yards and Matt Bushman was ahead of him, but from the wide receiver room, it was Simon, then Shumway, and then Hifo and they're all about a hundred yards apart. And, or 50 yards apart, sorry. And, you know, we really need to see Gunnar Romney launch himself up from being that fourth receiver at just a shade under 400 yards to This offense will be good if we see Gunnar Romney get to around, well, we I would love to see Matt Bushman, needs a thousand yard season. Gunnar Romney needs to be the number two receiver at around 850 yards because he has, he's faster than Milne, and Milne needs to be right behind him at like six to 700 yards. If those three things happen, then this will be the best BYU offense since 2009.
1: Behind those guys, Chris Jackson, it's the newcomers. Uh, we'll, we'll call Keanu Hill a newcomer. He was in the program last year, but didn't play much. Uh, Red shirted. Uh, Keanu Hill is uh, going to be a name that is talked about a lot. Um, he's got the skills. He's got the skills to be really good and make a big impact. He kind of reminds me of a Shumway or a Pau. Um I, wouldn't, I don't have as high of expectations for Hill this year as I think a lot of people do. Not because, of, not because I don't think Hill is capable. I think he's plenty capable of being really good. Uh, but because I think Powu has put in a ton of work and is going to be ahead of him for the majority of the year. Cody Epps, that's the, the big name everybody wants to talk about, was a big get out of modern-day high school. Um, he's going to be really good. I don't know that he's going to be really, really impactful this year. He's going to be on the field. But I think that his impact is going to come next year. I think he's a guy who needs to, to have at least, you know, I, I don't know if he needs a full year, but he needs at least a few games under his belt to catch up to the speed. Uh, he's Look, he's not the fastest guy on the field. He, he, he gets open with his quickness, and he gets open with his route running. And that's going to be tough to adjust as he goes to the Division One level. But as he does, I think Epps is going to have a very, very, very good career at BYU. Uh, I think. But- Jackson, Chris Jackson, man. I, I've talked to players during player run practices and corners right now are saying that Chris Jackson is the hardest receiver to guard out of anybody in BYU's receiver room. Um, he's fast. He he runs routes. Well, he's physical. Chris Jackson's going to prove to be a steal. Uh, I don't think he's going to go, you know, Todd Watkins and have a 1500 yard, whatever Watkins had receiving season. During his first year after JUCO ball, but I think Jackson's going to take this playoff to a different level. He gives them a weapon that they did not have last year, and that's just pure speed on the outside that could take the top off a of defense.
0: And I will say about Hill or Epps and Jackson um, that when I would say I will revise saying that we need that from Gunner and Dax Milne, We need that from somebody. We need Matt Bushman to get more aggressive and take that next step and get the thousand yard season that has eluded. Him and then we need somebody else to be a dominant wide receiver and get in the you know we need a guy in the eight hundred yard range and a guy in the six fifty seven hundred yard range and then a couple guys in the four I think Epps may finish with similar to kind of what Gunnar Romney had this year you know around three hundred three hundred fifty yards but Jackson man yeah I want we haven't had a legitimate deep threat since I cannot. Remember the last time we had a legitimate I mean, Hoffman. Yeah. And that was just because of his okay. size. He wasn't a burner. That was just because of his size and he controlled his body well being six, four, but he wasn't, no. he was not a deep threat the way, I mean, he was a mid range deep threat where he could lob it up. He wasn't going to blow the top off. Sure. You know, really it was like Austin Collie. but even then Collie wasn't super, super fast. He I guess
1: was, Jonah, Jonah Trineman was supposed to be that guy, but he was just maybe the most misused receiver in ever.
0: Yes. He was the most mystery. Yes. Yeah. It was really, it was him, but we didn't use him the right way. Um, so I think, you know, we haven't had someone like Chris Jackson who can step in and is hungry and ready to play the way Chris Jackson is. And I hope that, you know, we've written about it on the site and there's been interviews and you can tell he's from, you know, didn't have the greatest home life growing up, you know, struggled, you know, it's kind of like he had to work for everything he ever got and had to work and pull himself up by his bootstraps to be able to get this scholarship. And, you know, this is, you know, he is ready to take it and he knows he's earned it and he knows he deserves it. And I hope that his hunger and drive, you know, everyone else feeds off that in that room, because that's really, I mean, if you look at that, Micah Simon kind of stepped up last year, but for the last five, six years, There has not been a leader at the wide receiver position where it's like, oh yeah, that's our go-to guy. We can count on him every play. He's going to make something happen. And we haven't had that really since Mitch Matthews left.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a problem to not have that that number one receiver. Hopefully, somebody steps up this year. Really, the last thing to talk about. We've covered each individual position group, uh, but the overall depth of the offense. BYU has some depth this year. Uh, They've have been just decimated by injuries the last two seasons. Uh, different positions each year. The offensive line, uh, we have 16 different offensive line combinations last year, which is unheard of. Uh, 16's a ton. Uh, two years ago, Matt Hadley was having to convert over as a linebacker to be a running back because that's how bad the injury situation was. Uh, three quarterbacks played last year, right? I mean, so a ton of injuries over the last two years. That's sucked. But what that has resulted in this year is a ton of experience. These young guys that have been playing the last two years are now sophomores, juniors, seniors, and they have two years of experience under their belt. There's this, there's some depth on this team. That's a big deal. Uh, BYU hasn't had it, right? As these injuries have piled up the last couple of years, they've turned to Blake Freeland, who played great, but he was a freshman who was playing quarterback two years before. It's not the guy you want to rely on. Um, but this year, if Freeland goes down, they're going to turn to Salia Paga or Harris Lachance, who have game experience, starting experience at tackle. That's a big deal. And at every position, every position on the offense, except for, I guess, tight end, where I think BYU is maybe the most loaded, but every position on the offense, you can point to experience behind the starters. Uh, and that's just not something BYU has had in a really, really long time
0: and you know this is I've harped on this the last two episodes now over and over again this is the year that it will be put together and if it's not put together this year in a meaningful way when you break everything down looking back at the season against a difficult schedule it's then you got to try something different but I think the offense will surprise people this year and it's going to come together and things I think we have athletes where we lack them before and we really just need we need one or two guys to step up like running back not worried about it's going to be fine like it's the offensive line will make highways for them to go through they were good last year even while they're beat up if you know they'll come back stay healthy and even if they're not healthy they at least have more experience running back is going to be fine we know what we have in matt bushman you know like you've talked about Rex and what he's going to bring to the table as a bigger version of Matt Bushman within, you know, working in the same vein. And it's really, we need one wide receiver. That's we need one wide receiver to step up and say, I'm going to be the guy that you can give me the ball. So I take a double team off of Matt Bushman and everything will be open and things will click. And we're going to see some good things happen. I think this year.
1: I agree. I agree. It's been a good show. It's been long. I think we get longer every week. And I'm sorry about it, everybody, but just listen at like one and a half speed and then it'll or, feel short.
0: Or double, yes, cut it in half. You don't want to hear our voices that long. You want the content. You don't want to hear our voices. And, you know, it's, we got sidetracked a little bit talking for 20 minutes about jambalaya and sunflower seeds. You know, you know it happens somebody, to the best of us.
1: Speaking of our voices, somebody told me, I can't remember who it was, but I think it was after episode one or two, that, uh, I don't have a radio voice that I needed to work on my Dan Patrick voice. And that's really disheartening for me because I have always been you know, under the impression that I have a face for radio, but if I don't have a, a voice for radio and I don't have a face for the general public, I don't know what I'm supposed to do.
0: Jeff, there's a real reason that everyone is quarantined and it's about time we talk about it. okay it's my (laughs) sorry everybody Uh, no this has been fun please continue to
1: support us check us out on Teespring we'll put the the link to the storefront in the show notes Uh, leave a review leave leave us a rating subscribe to the podcast please share Uh, that's one of the biggest things that is we're trying to grow from the ground up share the podcast link share the articles that are written about it Uh, let's get some, some traction here and create what I think is, I think we've got the, the beginnings of the best BYU podcast out there. Uh, we just need your help in getting everybody else to see that. So thank you for thank you in advance for helping us on our quest to take over the BYU world.
0: Yes. Like share, subscribe, mostly share. That's the biggest way. We can only retweet ourselves so many times. We need your help. And, uh, You know, it's been another good week, another week down. Let's give them hell. Give them hell.